Hello, everyone. Welcome to Christ and Coffee. I am Pastor Hike, and this is Pastor Jeremy, and we are going to talk today about Pentecost. Uh, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And what's the big deal about the Holy Spirit? And why the event of Pentecost is so important uh, for the life of the church? Um, Jeremy, but before we begin, it seems like you got some new gear, which is super exciting. Yeah, yeah. Shout out. We had a uh, anonymous donor who wanted to upgrade the uh, mic quality over here. So shout out to whoever you are. Uh, got this brand new, hyper cool looking uh, stand up mic here that I get to talk into. Hopefully it uh, betters the sound quality. I'm still not used to it being right in front of my face, but <laughs> it's you're doing it for the I'll, listeners. I'll get there. Yeah, yeah I'll get there. How was your uh, Memorial Day weekend? It was good. It was good. I had a good time uh, with church and it felt like a blur, but it kind of helped. It made me think about um, the importance of holidays to structure life. So I was thinking a lot about the church calendar, about the American calendar. Mm -hmm. uh, usually Memorial Day marks the beginning of summer and Labor Day ends it. So in this weird season of quarantine and the coronavirus, it was even more important to be aware of uh, holidays to kind of be these markers to remember seasons and to, to remember just life. Because yeah, everything has been a blur the past two months for me. Yeah. But like, because every day seems a very similar day. Uh, so it was very fascinating to just reflect on that. And just to be grateful for uh, the veterans who, who, who gave their lives. It's important to think about that. And uh, also to think about just war in general and the evils behind what causes war. Um, hmm. So yeah, uh, but it was good. I had a good weekend. Cool. What about you? Cool. Yeah, we had some barbecue, made some kebab, got to enjoy some time with family. And uh, we did a outdoors, socially distant barbecue with some friends. So that was nice. nice. Um, it was a good, good time. Uh, this last Sunday was Ascension Sunday. So uh Anybody who's listened into the podcast knows that that's uh, an important theme for us in Christian theology and Christian tradition. And uh, yeah, it was, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think we brought it up when we talked about Ascension on the podcast, but in a, you know, in a time of uh, quarantine, in a time of being distant from one another, there is something about Ascension uh, that kind of reminds us that we're equipped uh, wherever we are whether we gather together at church or whether we're isolated and alone we're equipped to do the ministry of jesus um, he has contact and access uh, to us and with us wherever we are so uh, it was kind of a cool way into uh, ascension sunday this year uh, i got to kind of remind people that the church is never actually closed even though we keep talking about church closures church closures um you know, all we're really talking about is on-site worship uh, isn't able to happen, which is an important part of congregational life. But the 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 work and ministry that Jesus calls us to is is not bound by any any uh, four walls or any church structure. It's actually sets us free to do ministry wherever we are. Uh, I think my my sermon title was something like "Free to Be the Church." <laughs> so you know, people who are saying, you know, we we can't be the church unless we gather together. I mean, there is an aspect that that's important, but, you know, we're free to be the church wherever we are. So that was kind of something I was trying to stress this last Sunday as we uh, reflected on and celebrated Ascension Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Um, I focused on just pretty much Ascension links the story of Jesus with our story. Without the Ascension is that missing piece. Because mm -hmm. uh, without the Ascension, there's no Holy Spirit. Um, uh, I mean, no Holy Spirit available for his, his church. So, so it's so pivotal because we often just jump to death and resurrection. But if we leave out even the birth and the ascension, we miss the, the story of Jesus. But the ascension is the, that, that linking piece. It's literally the link that unites uh, Luke and Acts, who's the same writer, yeah. uh, with the story of the early church and the continuous church, which is us, and the ministry of Jesus. And it's so vital um, to talk about it even though it can be confusing to talk about the physics or the, the, the semantics, but same thing is with the resurrection. It is supposed to be this anomaly that's hard to explain. And there's yeah. some sort of level of mystery there, but, but because it happened, uh, we have the Holy spirit and 
uh, for me, church is wherever the Holy Spirit is, uh, where, where the people of God are gathered. That's why with the with the Holy Spirit, like when we gather and over Zoom, I, I have faith that God's presence is there. Yeah. Uh, when I do counseling over Zoom, uh, I have complete faith that the Holy Spirit's doing things. Uh, and I've seen the Holy Spirit do things over Zoom. So, so I do not think that the physical church is a necessity, even though it's a luxury, it's wonderful, but the church is still happening um, because God is still at work. It's wherever God is, the Holy Spirit's moving. And for me, where the Holy Spirit is, uh, that's where the church is. Yeah, that's um, where Jesus is at work. Yeah. What are your thoughts on like the definition of church? Because this whole thing is very fascinating uh, with, with the definition of what church is and what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you can't get around the idea that something about church has to do with gathering together. Like there, I mean, even, I mean, stretching the actual word for church in Greek, ecclesia, stretching it and making it do some, some extra work. It does mean sort of a gathering together and historically in ancient Greco Roman times, there were other sorts of ecclesias, um, an ecclesia in the New Testament is just a, a gathering of people for a common purpose and a common direction. Um, so uh, there's different guilds in the ancient world, like the, uh, uh, the idols, the, the idol makers, they had an ecclesia, they had a guild, they had a gathering that would gather together to do a, you know, to have a certain purpose and to kind of collectively bargain with the empire and things like that. Um, so there is something, I guess what I'm saying, historically, there is something crucial about being together and meeting together. Like uh, church doesn't ever really seem to be something I do on an isolated, just me on my own, but it has to do with a community. But I think where you gather and how you gather uh, is where there's some give, you know? I mean, we can still gather virtually right now, and there is something still less than perfect about that. Um, we've talked about how, you know, there needs to be some sort of embodied presence um and you know but as it is right now um in order to you know best love our neighbor and uh, make sure that we're protecting people and shielding people who are vulnerable to uh, the virus that's going around it seems like um you know this the safest course of action at the moment is to meet together in this way and you know wait until we can meet together in a healthy, more appropriate way. I think, you know, there's really no difference between, um, well, there is a difference between meeting here in the church and meeting on Zoom. But I think uh, at this point, it's kind of where we have to lay. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, with like in person, you can't really have communion. You can't really have laying on hands. You can't really have that fellowship and that coffee hour, the singing in one chorus. Uh, like, yeah, so, I mean, when I do say uh, church is still happening wherever God is working with wherever the Holy Spirit's moving, God's still moving. He's just moving differently right now in this season. Um, and it's, I'm not saying it's better or just different. And um, well, hopefully there's going to be more of a both end because mm -hmm. I, I feel like what the quarantine did was push uh, the death of the print era and just accelerated the digital era. So the digital era is pretty much, uh, the digital technologies where visual communications um, have taken over. And like 1985, more videos were taken out than books, um, just to put that in perspective. So like the millennial generation gets a lot of slack and, and, and uh, uh, weird uh, stereotypes. Just a lot of it's justified, to be honest, but that could be another conversation. Um, but th there's this generation that we belong to, these millennials, we grew up with these digital technologies. There hasn't been a digital communication revolution since the printing press 500 years ago. And whenever there is a change in uh, the communication style, there's a complete change in culture. Hmm. So, so there's this transition that's been happening for 30 years, you can go back to 100 years, but like really in the next the past 30 years with the technology, with the computers, with the, what, what we're doing right now with social media, uh, and what the quarantine did was just accelerate the heck out of putting death, the old systems of print culture, whether that's tr making money transactions, whether that's uh, buying physical books versus listening to audio books or Kindle books, reading Kindle books, 
so so a lot of the transitions just got extremely accelerated and i just was reading an article about how like the wealthiest people like um zuckerberg and uh uh bezos the amazon guy like they just made a lot of money and people were like conspiracy theory like wondering oh they this must have been a whole thing where it was just a way for them to make more money no no it was just the the reality of what made them rich in the first place got accelerated mm. uh, because they just uh were, were the, the, the people leading this digital change. Hmm. Um, and, and it affects how you do worship. So if you think about it, the, the, the Protestant Reformation is geared towards uh, print culture. It, and there's no Protestant Reformation without the printing press and Bibles being accessible to the common people. Hmm. There was hmm. a complete shift in the culture that led to a complete shift in uh, a spirituality. Right. And I think that, you know, the shift is both, you know, like any shift in culture, there's pros and there's cons, there's a rearrangement, there's different ways of doing things. And I, I think what we're getting at here is that in, in this particular shift, in this particular cultural rearrangement to a digital, uh, digital world, um, doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't still working. It's just, it rearranges our vision of church a little bit to adjust, to see, you know, there's obviously still value in embodied presence and we're going to have that in, you know, as long as the church lives and breathes. Um, but there's also other ways to connect with people throughout the week, especially in a, in a, in an age where everybody is, you know, distant from me. I mean, that's the other thing too, like in, in, you know, leading up to this thing, our church was still, um, you know, members from the church are all over the place here. This is a suburban church. It's a commuter church. So, uh, you know, had we utilized some of these digital medias, um, mediums to, you know, engage with one another throughout the week, then, you know, we would have had more contact throughout the week. And then Sunday services would have been sort of a more, um, embodied community on a sunday morning service so it might just rearrange things i remember when i was in seminary everybody was saying you know small groups was the big thing everybody will have small groups throughout the week to connect and then sunday will be the worship celebration together and maybe this rearranges things um so that you know digital digital community throughout the week keeps us together and then sunday morning is an embodied presence so it's just you know with culture changes comes different different manifestations of what church looks like it doesn't mean that the you know the central core hope or message of the church falls away but it just means we rearrange things and, and quite honestly like I, I was talking uh this this weekend with my dad because now we're trying to think about you know what the best way to open our churches are you know open up our churches are going to be moving forward and one of the things i was talking about with my dad was you know what what would a worship service look like at this point in a in a coronavirus age like you know and my dad was saying yeah it's like it's almost you get to a point where it's like what's the point of even gathering together you can't worship you can't sing you can't you know everyone's wearing masks you can't really talk to each other it's just come in get a message and leave and that's not really church so it's also just interesting to think about how in some ways, the old way has to to die a little bit, and then a new way has to emerge that's um, willing to adapt to some of the present situations. But um, yeah, I, I mean to connect this all to Pentecost because we started, you know, we started with you know the the concept of Pentecost um, since Pentecost is coming this Sunday. And uh, it's interesting that in, you know, in the events leading up to Pentecost, the disciples are holed up and gathered together in a room, right? Like they're quarantined, <laughs> they're, they're, they're shut up indoors. And, um, and it's in that space that the spirit of God comes to them and breaks them out into the, into the world around them. And so uh, I guess that's to say that, you know, no matter where we are, the spirit of God works on us and opens us up to the, the coming of God's kingdom and, doesn't really matter what space you're in as long as you're together in some way shape or form yeah yeah no it's, it's super important um but yeah i think for me I, like i notice if there's a lot of fear or a lot of uncertainty the holy spirit doesn't work or is not like welcomed as much as weird as that may sound um so i'm just like curious if we ever if we just went back to church right away and like 
over half the people are scared out of their minds to be there if they even show up in the first place. Like, I feel like you can't really worship without uh, faith. Uh, like Jesus performed, couldn't perform any miracles or do ministry in his hometown because of the lack of uh, faith. He was amazed at their disbelief hmm. versus, the, uh, versus the, the Roman official who came to Jesus and said, heal my servant. And immediately uh, he was healed because he had that great faith and Jesus was amazed by his faith. Hmm. Um, so there's something about faith and uh, the Holy Spirit a correlation, not always causation, but, but just from practically speaking in scripture and from, from what I see um, in, in, during my ministry. Uh, and the level of fear being there of, with Corona, uh, it'll be hard to have faith um, and they can't be operating together. Um, so I don't know. I just want to just say that uh, uh, we're yeah. talking about reopening. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think I, I it... I mean, the conversation is revolving around, you know, since Pentecost is coming up on, on Sunday and Pentecost is really the holiday where we zero in on the Holy Spirit. It's like spotlight goes on the Holy Spirit on, on that one Sunday. And it's really the only Sunday out of the year that most churches even talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, um, unless you're Pentecostal. <laughs> but, unless you're Pentecostal, yeah. that's true. <laughs> but um, so, you know, there's a there's a direct connection between some of the conversations we're having about what church is and the nature of church and Pentecost, because Pentecost is the, the birth of the church. It's the, the outpouring of the spirit and the equipping of the equipping of the church to do the ministry of Jesus in the world around it. So um, it just strikes me as a really relevant time to have this conversation. Um, yeah. If you think about it, right. Like, the disciples going back to the cha Acts chapter one, um, Jesus tells them, wait for the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So this is so important. You can't do church without the Holy Spirit. You can't do the mission of God without God's presence. Um, so Jesus ascends 10 days later, the spirit comes. So imagine what's going on in the minds of the disciples during those 10 days. Yeah. They're, they're waiting. They're expecting um, they're expecting for the prophecies to be fulfilled. Um, it says that John was going to baptize with water and then Jesus was going to be baptizing with the spirit. What does that mean? There, there, there's all this confusion. There's all this anticipation. And then during the Pentecost holiday, uh, the Holy Spirit shows up with power and, and, and in a manner that is unexpected, right? It's early in the morning. People are drunk in the spirit they're literally looking like they're intoxicated there's people babbling in different languages but there's understanding in the chaos there's unity in the chaos and peter gets up and doesn't leave chaos there he explains what's happening which is so important he quotes scripture he uses the bible to explain what's happening how the prophecy has been fulfilled what you're experiencing right now is a great prophecy fulfillment where it's not going to be old Jewish dudes who are prophets or young prophets be able to hear from God, but it's going to be young. It's going to be the old. It's going to be the rich. It's going to be the poor. It's going to be men and women who are able going to hear from God, see images from God, uh, and be able to, to, to proclaim that God is who he is. And the, the Holy spirit empowers Peter to get up, speak faith into the chaos and bring unity and with the holy spirit as he's preaching about who jesus is people come to faith you can't have genuine conversion without the holy spirit peter peter cannot just say these words on his own wisdom and authority we need the holy spirit to actually be effective ministers and we need the holy spirit to be a church because for me the church is where the holy spirit is moving within god's people yeah, and I think it's it's one of the things that I think we, and I hate making blanket generalizations like this, you know, the Western church or the church in general, like whatever. One of the things I think that is lacking in most of our churches is a sense of uh, Christianity as um, not an ideology that we just believe, but an actual lived out mission, a practice, uh, a dynamic of living with Jesus and carrying out Jesus's work in 
the times that we live in and in the culture and context that we live in. And you can't do that without the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the the giver of the spirit wherever he went he had a the spirit of god with him to conduct the the ministry he did he brought god near in the kingdom of god through the spirit when he did his ministry in galilee and in jerusalem and the narrative continues by jesus giving that same spirit to his church to be the people who actually live out that and continue that ministry if you look very carefully there's an interesting literary device in um, the book of acts it's this thing in, um, they talk about in, in um, literary analysis. They talk about it in um, cultural analysis. It's called mimesis. And mimesis is this thing where um, you'll take a common trope or a common theme of somebody very, um, very influential. And then you copy it and put somebody else in that scene so that everything you upload with that person is seen in that new person. So like one example I used in a Bible study was like, if, uh, if you heard the Darth Vader sound, right? Like the breathing, if you heard the, and then you like, somebody stepped onto the screen and it was like, you know, it, it wasn't Darth Vader, but it was just some other person, you know, uh, you would upload all of the negative, like background and context of Darth Vader you know that guy is the bad guy right mm -hmm. so in Acts there's all these scenes where um, there'll be a scene where you'll read what's happening and what's going on and you're like wait a minute I've seen that somewhere and if you go back to Luke you'll actually see like the same kind of things Jesus doing them and then in the book of Acts it's Jesus Jesus type things that are being enacted but the mm -hmm. disciples are doing it right and it's all throughout the book of Acts where I don't want to go into the depth of all the examples, but one of them is we just a couple of weeks ago um, in, in the lectionary, um, there was the option to preach Stephen, uh, the, the first martyr, Stephen's death. He's the first one to, uh, to be martyred for Jesus. And if you read that whole story of, of Stephen's martyrdom, his death, it looks exactly like Jesus's. I mean, other than being hung on a Roman cross, all of the things that, that, um, Stephen does look very much like Jesus in his trial and his leading up to his crucifixion. Um, all that is to say that the way the story goes in the whole New Testament is Jesus is empowered by the Spirit to bring the kingdom of God, and then when he dies, resurrects, and ascends to heaven, he gives his church the gifts to conduct that ministry and take it out to new places. Right. Um, I think it's in the gospel of John. Doesn't he even say you'll do greater things than this, or you'll do greater things than me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is to say, I'm giving you this task and this gift, go out now and do more, go out to the nations, go out and do these things more. So, so Pentecost really launches us on that, on that mission and ministry. And I think for most of us, church has been like the safety zone in a turbulent culture rather than the place where we're equipped to go out and engage that culture, right? right? It becomes like, let's, let's be safe here in these four walls and not go out. But Pentecost is all about being, <laughs> being equipped to go into the unsafe place um, right. and, and to do the work of Jesus in the world around us. Yeah. I mean, Jesus definitely went to the synagogue during his ministry, but he also like was doing ministry during the week, even on the Sabbath when he wasn't supposed to be doing ministry, he did ministry. He goes out, not, not saying that we should substitute, meeting each week but there what, what's going on throughout the week are we are we going out are we doing the work of the church um and uh yeah and, and more importantly does it look like jesus's ministry that that's a really can that's a really difficult thing to swallow like how much of the church ministry looks like jesus's ministry right and i think that's the that's the important thing with pentecost is that There's a, there's an assumption, I think, with most people when they hear, you know, Pentecost or when they hear talking about, when they hear language about the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Spirit, they're thinking about power, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a power dynamic to the giving of the Spirit. But the, the power is to be a Jesus type people, right? So the power is the power to bear witness and, and love and care for those around us. It's the power to look like Jesus in the world around us. And, and so the, the question really becomes what kind of, what kind of ministry are we being empowered to, you know, and Jesus says the, the, the benchmark or the measurement, Jesus's story, Jesus's life is the benchmark or, or measurement to 
um, the work of the spirit among us. Cause you can have a lot of people get up and say, you know, the spirit told me to do this or the spirit has empowered me to do this or whatever it might be. Um, but it's, it's fundamental to the new Testament that the spirit's work is anchored in Jesus. It's the mm-hmm. spirit of Jesus Christ. I mean, sometimes there's even language where it's, you know, the Holy spirit is one way to talk about the spirit, but other places in the new testaments, the language is the spirit of Jesus Christ or the spirit of Jesus. And so, um, it has to look like Jesus and, and it, it has to um, remind others or call others to participation in life with Jesus, not with me or some community that matches up with my vision for what's good for the world. Yeah. Yeah. I went to uh, two virtual weddings uh, each this past two weekends. Um, it was interesting to see uh, zoom weddings, but uh, I remember one of the wedding services that I saw on zoom uh, first Corinthians 13 was read and love is patient. Love is kind. It's a beautiful text about love, Mm -hmm. but that scripture passage is anchored in a conversation about a misuse of spiritual gifts, primarily speaking in tongues. Right. So, so it's important when we talk about the empowerment of the spirit to also talk about the importance of the character of the spirit. Right. Pentecostal circles I, I I'm connected to it's always about the the power and the anointing and uh how anointed is this person and did the whoa like the Holy Spirit showed up in a powerful way great um but there's less of an emphasis on the character and some of the more reformed yeah. circles I run which is also a thing I do um the emphasis is always on the character and there's not an understanding of, of the power uh or the or the spiritual gifts for this matter. When I say power, I'm just really talking about spiritual gifts uh, to the point where many of them don't even believe the spiritual gifts are alive and active today. Mm -hmm. Um, So there needs to be a both and at all times. Um, The problem with the church in Corinth was they were spiritually anointed and gifted. However, they lacked the character of love, which is the ultimate virtue, which is the ultimate sign of character. So Paul's rebuking that church because they forgot love. And the whole point right. of these gifts is to show love to other people. It's not to puff yourself up. It's not to be prideful. It's not to build your own ministry. It's to, to serve other people, to put other people above, above yourself. That's where the beautiful love passage is anchored. And that's the context. Right. Um, and, and, and you see this all the time. Uh, you, you, you need to have a both and. You need the, the love and the character of the spirit, which is talked about as the fruit of the spirit, which is peace, love, joy self-control this is all character this is all virtue that the holy spirit will equip you with or give you as joy he will just give you joy and peace that's supernatural right. like even if your circumstances suck god's spirit's going to be there and, and then like uh, nurture you to have that love love character but right. it, the holy spirit also gives us gifts right I mean, so there's, there's so many different things I want to jump in on with you there, but, but one of them, (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, there's just, you, you were hitting the nail on the head. So, um, one, like if you go to any of the new Testament letters, it's an assumption that the spirit of God is working in the church. Like even in Corinth where there's like this ridiculous situation, it's like church gone wild. There's Mm -hmm. like, it's craziness. Um, there's still an assumption that the spirit of God is working among them and that he needs to teach them how to, how to, I I don't know what the best word is for it, but cultivate a more Christian character, um, in, in stewarding the gifts of God that they've, they've been given. Right. So there's that. Um, secondly, you know, you talk about that love chapter in Corinthians, um, and, and the question is, how does Paul know that this is love, right? How does he know this is love? It's because he's encountered the resurrected Jesus and he knows a Jesus-shaped love and the spirit of God has empowered him to embody that, right? So um, if you go just a little bit before that, actually it's in the lectionary this week for um, the Revised Common Lectionary. They have 1 Corinthians 12 um, on one of the lists of readings for Pentecost and and that's where in part of Corinthians 12, it says um, nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by this, the Holy Spirit. Right. right. Absolutely. And so and so the whole the whole point of if you connect that all together, it's like it, without the spirit of God, you can't really make that that contact or connection between 
sitting under Jesus as Lord, becoming a disciple, becoming an apprentice of Jesus's way of love and living into that love, being gifted. Yes. Um, but being gifted in such a way that, that those gifts are used for the good of the community and the care of others. Right. And, and that won't make sense to most churches because I, I mean, I hate to say it. I, most churches are maybe not so concerned with extending the, the, the mission of Jesus, but they're, you know, more concerned about survival and staying alive and keeping, you know, keeping the church afloat. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, those churches who are willing to uh, lose their life will find it. Uh, I think it, that, that you need that level of faith. Uh, so you completely reliant on the Holy spirit to do the work, not on the safety, not on the budget, not on uh, what's popular or trendy. Um, but there needs to be this ultimate reliance on the spirit of God. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's not God who's running this church. It's, it's your own sort of social club or institution or cultural club. Um, and it's hard. We have to actually repent and renounce these idols uh, and open the door for the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. And right. then to just be obedient um, and do the things Jesus did. And it's hard because we inherited these structures or systems. Uh, there's so much luxury and wealth in the West. Uh, there's a lot of issues. Um, but I think that the scriptures talk about grieving the spirit and quenching the spirit. Hmm. Um, and grieving the spirit, I think, is when we have these moral failings, when we sin blatantly and we know better. Um, it's the character. And the Holy Spirit will convict us and help us, but we have to be honest with the sin. We have to confess sin. We have to uh, just be honest with other people and ask Jesus's blood to forgive us. And he will. Um, so there's a lot of dishonesty because people are putting on a mask. There's a lot of shame. Th this stuff quenches, uh, uh, this stuff grieves the Holy spirit. Uh, and then there's grieving the Holy spirit or quenching the Holy spirit. I, my apology. Grieving is when it comes to sin and character. Quench, uh, gr grieving when it comes to quenching the spirit, that's when we just don't believe the Holy Spirit could do the things in the Bible. That's when we don't believe in the spiritual gifts. And there's liberal versions of this. There's conservative versions of this. But they're, they're similar where they trust ideology and create man-made systems versus talking about a living spirit who's alive and active and could do whatever the Holy Spirit wants. Um, so sometimes really bad theology quenches the spirit. Sometimes just lack of faith quenches the spirit. Um, not trusting Jesus and his words quenches the spirit. So the, the, the main dangers is this grieving with the character and the quenching with the denying the power, but they both have to be there for, for a healthy uh, spiritual expression. Right. Right. I think it's, it was interesting again, because, you know, Pentecost is coming up on Sunday and, you know, as pastors, we have to preach, <laughs> to put a sermon together every Sunday. So we always hit the reset button on Monday or Tuesday and start thinking about mm -hmm. what we're going to preach on next week. And so um, one of the options for preaching this week is a, is a, you know, obscure text in the book of numbers. Uh, interestingly enough, it's in the revised common lectionary. I think it's numbers 11 or something, but uh, it's really interesting. It's the story about Moses uh, being overwhelmed by the people of God in the wilderness and God giving out the spirit of Moses to 70, I think 70 members of the community to help him organize and task over and care over the community. Um, so I think it's interesting too, that there's almost a, there's a practical element too to Pentecost where um, in the context of the newly formed church and then now to our churches that are, you know, established and formed that God uh, is generous with his spirit. He gives it to others to accomplish the work of the church, but it's also often in the times of grumbling and gossip and complaint that um, that spirit is needed most to kind of shut it up and quiet it out so that you can actually do the work of, of God, do the work of the gospel in your, in your, context in your scenario and your situation. So um, I think there's just also a very practical aspect of the, the gift of the spirit, the gifts, the manifold gifts of the spirit, they show up in different ways and different forms and for different purposes. 
um, but they are meant for the whole church. And I think this right. is something that we don't talk about much and that we don't accent and use often. It's, you know, in most of the churches I've been a part of, it's usually, you know, the role of a select few people to do the work of the church. But according to the New Testament, the whole church is given the gifts of God. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus has a, has the spirit on them and has the, the gift of the spirit and is able to, you know, conduct a Jesus shaped ministry wherever that person finds himself. And that's what church growth should be. Right. <laughs> like that's what the development of uh, or the furthering of a Christian community should, should be rooted in the fact that everybody is given the gift to accomplish the ministry of Jesus, wherever they are. Right. Right. And not to do it by yourself. Um, and just to echo that uh, numbers passage, Jesus equips the 70. Yep. Um, in the gospels. Uh, yeah. And that's his like main ministry. He's equipping people to be uh, disciples who are in tune with the spirit to do the work that he's doing. And Jesus himself didn't really launch his ministry until he was the, the dove descended after his baptism. Yeah. Jesus needs the Holy spirit. And then he, his ministry is equipping people on how to uh, be in tune with the spirit to do, do the same things he did. Like it's absurd to like think, have church services have theologies where the holy spirit's not even mentioned yeah or 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 uh talked about but but there there's there is this level of teaching and equipping um where there's also the lack and this is where i, th I think uh uh the good good teachings of scriptures are required um uh and uh also what i love about the the 70 in the gospels um jesus sends people two by two mm-hmm so it, it, you never get into a like a prideful trip if you think that you're the one doing like a healing or preaching the gospel and someone comes to faith. It's always two by two. God is sending people two by two. Like in his uh, divine pattern or divine structure he has for his church, you should never do a solo mission. You always yeah. have to do it with someone else. Like that's yeah. part of how the Holy Spirit works. Where two or three are gathered, you could do stuff like Jesus does, but you can't just do it by yourself. And right. this is where, where a very toxic understanding of the Holy Spirit is, where if you think, oh, one person is the anointed one, or one person is the one who has all the gifts, you, 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 you stop becoming a church. It becomes about a person, and uh, they become weird celebrities within the Christian culture. And you could have right. intellectual versions of this. You could have charismatic versions of this. You could have social justice versions of this. And we put these people on a pedestal and, and we lose sight of the fact that this was never supposed to happen. It was supposed right. to be two disciples sent. Right. It's, you know, I just, as you're talking, I'm reminded that, um, you know, the very, the very word, I mean, we, we read it every Sunday. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, we say it as if it's Jesus's last name, the word Christ, Christos, is literally a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. And that means an anointed one, somebody who's been, who's been anointed by God to accomplish a mission and, and to lead God's people in the good life, to lead God, God's people into um, uh, a liberated shalom or a, a peace or a wholeness. Okay, so Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And what does Jesus do with the anointing? He messiahs us. <laughs> he anoints all of us to be our own, you know, suit. Not, I don't know if I like the language of all of us being messiahs, but he anoints us to, to accomplish the mission with him, right? He, he pours it out among us. So, I, you know, I just think that that's a much richer way of looking at the Christian life than just, you know, obeying a couple rules um, and having an ideological framework to, you know, discuss and argue about this is a lived out experience where we are messiahed into jesus we are anointed into jesus and we become people who extend the ministry who live that out in the world around us um, yeah. when i was uh doing my doctorate in ministry program my professor uh, chuck davis um said this one-liner thing but it's really resonated with me um there's a big difference between doing ministry for god and doing ministry with god hmm. And then understanding that God wants to, we have to work with God. Like God wants to do ministry with us. 
this whole time I was doing it for God. I'm doing the right thing for God. But, but if we do with God, then we're living this missionary lifestyle, this, this uh, 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 carrying out the kingdom of God lifestyle with each other and with God. Um, and that's what the, the scripture is really testifying to. And I always find it fascinating that there's this like emphasis in evangelical culture about this personal relationship with God. Yeah. And it's, it's, it usually means just complain to God about your problems and read your right. Bible. Right. Not like have a spirit empowered life where you have the fruit of the spirit and a community that's like all about not just the Holy spirit, but the Holy Trinity and uh, doing ministry that's supposed to be reflecting the love of Christ to the world. Right. I also think uh, connected to this idea of the spirit of the spirit of God or the Holy spirit being attached to the spirit of Jesus or to the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. It's a Jesus shaped spirit. Um, I think connected to that is the idea of, you know, if you go back to the, the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis, the spirit of God hovers over the waters, right. And, and brings order and life. And it participates in the creation that brings life to all that we inhabit. And so I do think, and you know, maybe you can come back at me on this a little bit, but I do think there's an aspect of uh, the Holy spirit where you can tell the, you can tell by the fruit of the spirit. You can tell by the, the fruit that is being manifested in a community, whether it's the spirit of God or not. Like in a, you know, the, the spirit of, of God, the Holy spirit is a spirit of life. It brings order. It brings wholeness. It brings, you know, forgiveness, redemption, all these things that come from, you know, the, the theme of the Holy spirit played out throughout the old and new Testament. Like you can, you can sort of get a sense from, spiritually what kind of spirit is it as is, is at play in a community as you sort of observe what virtues are held in high esteem yeah. you know what you know what principles are really taken as priority yeah and for first john 4 says test the spirits that those that the spirit that testifies that jesus is the christ the messiah it's the holy spirit right um and it, this is very important because we're definitely in a new age like pun intended i guess um, where spirituality is back into the forefront of culture, where it's not this like a uh, post-modernity modernity or post-modernity, post whatever people are calling it these days. But we're, we're definitely in a, in a world now where spirituality is coming back into the forefront, where it's not just this rational thought. And uh, it's very important to make sure what kind of spirit, um, and like you're saying, is, it, it, what, is the character reflecting Jesus? is a spirituality really proclaiming Jesus Christ or is it proclaiming something else? Um, and is it life-giving? Is yeah. it something that creates order? Is it something that gives life to others and is, you know, creating a space for people to connect on it? Like, cause I find, you know, a spirit of criticism and judgment and hate, like that's not going to be the fruit of the spirit. Like, I'm not going to see, mm -hmm. I'm not going to see the spirit at work there. And Jesus is likely no, not likely. He's not. Jesus yeah, is not exactly. at work very, yeah. in that community. It's very clear. And, and that's, I think also, you mentioned first John and most of John literature, like we call it fancy. The fancy word is Johannine literature. So most Johannine literature uh -huh. is, is a very clear cut, you know, this is life. This is death. Like this is the good. This is the evil. This is the light. This is the dark. And it's meant for a community that's really kind of disoriented at the moment because people are saying this or that, this or that. This is the real church. This is the real Jesus. And John wants to be clear. No, this is the way, the life-giving spirit. You've experienced it. You've tasted the, the spirit of God. You, you know who he is. You know where he's at work. And you know that he bears witness to Jesus. So stick to that. And that will be the way for you. That will be the way forward. Um, I think that's important for us. Uh, yeah. in, in, a, in a segmented world, we live in a segmented world. Everybody has a different angle and a different you know, perspective on the world around them. Everybody has their little tribal way of looking at the world. And, and the way forward for us as disciples of Jesus who have the spirit of God um, 
you know, we have, as you said, test the spirits and see if there's life, see if there's character, see if there's the virtue of Jesus being lived out in a community and, and take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, the Holy Spirit comes packaged with the Holy Trinity. Um, it's so important to know that because it's Jesus and the God, the father, it's all connected. Um, and that's important too. Um, because sometimes, uh, I remember hearing a sermon from Tim Keller, uh, a reform uh, pastor in New York city, uh, saying that it's important to have a balanced Trinity, uh, not to just emphasize one aspect of the Godhead. And too many traditions do that. They focus uh, too much maybe on Jesus or too much on the Holy Spirit, too much on God the Father. But a healthy Holy Spirit spirituality should be a balanced understanding of who God the Father is, who Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, and to delight yeah. in this, uh, the dance of the, uh, the tr Trinity and participate with the Trinity. Um, but we have to understand also the differences between God, the father, Jesus Christ and the Holy spirit. And, um, uh, I think it's important. Um, like I know, I know the scriptures say like you accept Jesus into your heart, but like really the Holy spirit enters into your heart, right? <laughs> like yeah. the Holy spirit is now living in the temple of the, the person. Uh, but, right. but that's because Jesus is the one who is enables that. And we're now participating with God, the father's family. So like, right, right. It, it's so important just to have this, this balance, but at the same time, not neglect or grieve and quench uh, the spirit, uh, which is very common and comes in different forms. Um, and it's just so much more fun doing ministry with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like it just, it, it just, it confirms everything by just doing life with God, the spirit. Um, yeah. And, uh, and well, I, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, just the, the image of, in Pentecost, the image of the tongues of fire coming down and the fire resting on the disciples' head and sending them out. Yeah. That's all that's all temple language. That's the that's the imagery of God's glory entering the temple in the old testament, mm -hmm. right? And so just just as you said, like to the point, I mean, when we receive jesus we're actually becoming the temple of god each of us is be, is a walking embodiment of what god is trying to do in the world and we get to you know from uh, out from us comes that spirit as we interact with others and as we bear witness to jesus uh in the world around us so yeah i mean we're, we're, we're walking temples because of Pentecost. Yeah. And, and we're going from the temple in Jerusalem out into the world, right. And expanding the, the spiritual yeah. pr presence. And that's right. the beauty of Pentecost. It's, it's a uh, going out into the world uh, from the, from, from the Holy temple of God to uh, making nations and people, the temple now a living temple. And the, right. where, where the spreading of Christianity happens is the spreading of God's living temple. And that's really right. what Pentecost is about. And it's about bringing unity to, among uh, nations that once are, are supposed to hate each other, um, ethnic groups, it destroys every sort of divide that we hate, any, or every sort of schism, Pentecost is undoing all that. Right. Uh, and right. Th the spirit is available for all those uh, who trust in Jesus. So there's this uh, inclusivity in the sense that Christ is the way to access or receive the Holy Spirit. But where the spirit of God is, there's this just complete unity among the young, the old, the rich, the poor, um, the man, the female, they're, they're now one in Christ. Right. Uh, and like you said, this is a work of the Trinity. This isn't, you know, just the spirit wanting to do this. This is all connected to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think it was a, there's a famous ancient church father, Gregory of Nazianzus. And I remember a quote that I used to love in seminary because it was sort of like my go-to for like, for like Orthodox Trinitarian grasping of like the, the interaction between the, the, the essence and the, the person, maybe one day we'll do a, a, an actual um, episode on the Trinity, but he had this line where he said, whenever I think of the three, I'm drawn to the one. And whenever I think of the one, I'm drawn to the three. Exactly. And so it's this dialectic dance of the work of the spirit is the work of, of God. And the work of God is the work of father, son, and Holy spirit. And, you know, at different times we interact with one, but, but in that one, we're entering into the, the presence of all three. And so it's just a, it's a really healthy way to do Trinitarian theology and just theology in general uh, is to grasp the interplay between the three and the one. But, you know, at, at Pentecost, we're 
you know, shining a spotlight on the Holy Spirit. And here the Spirit is breathing life into a community, opening that community up to participation in the ministry of Jesus and embodying that, mimicking that, that um, mission in the world around it and, uh, and bringing us together, like you said. Yeah, I yeah. think, I mean, Pentecost is about the regathering of a people and uh and to to participate in the ministry of jesus and so you know that's another that's another benchmark to kind of look at is the spirit a spirit of division is it a spirit of antagonism and and divisiveness or is it a spirit of wholeness and participation together and what jesus is trying to get accomplished yeah absolutely absolutely and uh yeah we the holy spirit brings the church together and uh we grieve the holy spirit when we throw stones at each other and uh, we don't understand that we're on the same team. And uh, it's so important um, just to reflect because, uh, and the beautiful thing about the Trinity, as you're talking about um, the spotlight, like the Holy spirit brings a spotlight on Jesus and Jesus brings a spotlight on God, the father. And it's this never ending, like the spotlight is brought on the other uh, people in the Godhead. And that's the beautiful thing. Like God, as we worship three in one is constantly the attention's on the other, the attention's on the other, the attention's on the other. Right. And that's right. really what love is. And that's why we, we say God is love. And when first John is talking about God is love, it's anchored in the Trinity. God right, is love. Right. That's yeah. I mean, there, there was an old, <laughs> it's funny. I remember there's an, there's a ancient theological term when they had the Trinity debates called perichoresis mm-hmm. and perichoresis was all about, you know, the, the father makes space for the son, the son makes space for the spirit. And they all kind of make space for one another to do this divine dance. And what you said earlier, that the language of dancing is actually the the best way to approximate what they're trying to get at. Um, and perichoresis kind of became like the, 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 uh, I don't know, the, the, the umbrella under which if you had any sort of debate or argument and you wanted to solve the one and the three, you just throw perichoresis at the wall and say, it's just perichoresis. <laughs> like that's how they, that's how they do it. That's how the three and the one engage with one another. But, um, but I think that's absolutely to the point that that's what, that's how we know what love is like, because the, the Trinity is in this divine dance of making space for one another and invites us into that dance and we participate in that we become a people who are able to you know embody that and live that out among others and create space for um, others to to be loved and to be empowered and to be equipped to go do ministry out in the world around them yeah yeah absolutely and the the holy spirit is the gift of love uh it's what it is it's just grace just love and we get to participate and dance with this holy trinity it's beautiful um this wraps this conversation up we'll definitely talk more about the holy spirit and the future and the trinity uh, thank you for watching if you have any comments uh in the section below uh feel free um if you want any uh questions or topics for us to go over in future episodes let us know if you know any guests um that you think would be great um we'd love to hear your feedback uh, also, please like, subscribe, uh, share, uh, and please promote uh, the Christ and Coffee podcast. And we thank you so much for listening. Um, have one more sip left in my iced coffee. Uh, remember to stay caffeinated. And thank you for, for listening. Bless you all.